0: Sometimes in life, it is important uh, to say things to prepare other people to hear something. For example, you confront your roommate about, you know, something they're driving you crazy about, and you say, hey, I want you to know, I love you, but, right? Um, or maybe if you tell a funny story or joke, you recognize the context is really important. Um, but before we uh, get into Revelation 6, there are three quick things I want to say that I think will help you guys understand and apply uh, this book. We're starting to get to that section of Revelation first, uh, where it's really important to emphasize again and again that this book was written to seven churches and that this book's message was meant to apply to their daily lives. So this is not a mystery prophecy book that is meant to tell Uh, 21st century Americans, what they should be looking out for in their headlines. This is not a book that merely just tells us the events that are going to happen. The message of this book is meant, uh, and I think it's very clear uh, and clearly applicable to the lives of Christians living in a fallen world. Okay, so just as we approach this passage, the way I'm going to approach this passage, and much of the passage we're going to deal with in the next couple weeks, or not next week because we don't have Sunday school, but all the weeks after that, okay, uh, that the big picture— is very clear, and the big picture is very applicable, even if some of the details are a little fuzzy or have multiple interpretations, all right? First thing. Second thing, all right? This passage is all about seals. Revelation 6 is all about the lamb opening seals. If you don't know what a seal is, uh, it was a, um, in the, in ancient days, people would seal letters. Maybe you've seen one of these. If you've gotten, like, a really nice letter in the mail, the letter will be folded over, and there will be just wax it keeps it closed, that's a seal, all right? And uh, in, in, uh, in ancient days, kings would seal their correspondence with a very particular uh, seal. The seal uh, kings would have signet rings, and they would seal their correspondence with them to authenticate it, all right? And so uh, in Revelation 5, we see in the right hand of God a scroll that has seven seals on it. And in this passage, we're going to see them open. Let me just kind of explain uh, with this very beautiful visual, okay, uh, how I think Revelation works, all right? I, this is not the only way to interpret the book, but this is how I see it, okay? So here's, here's the scroll. You see the line there that's folded over, okay? Here are the seven seals, all right? The first six seals are all opened in Revelation 6. We'll see what they mean in a second, okay? Uh, there's a little interlude in Revelation 7, which talks about how the saints are safe and preserved during all this craziness, all right? And then the seventh seal is opened in Revelation 8, and the entirety of Revelation 8 to 16 is all talking about the seventh seal, all right? Finally, we get to Revelation 17, and the scroll is opened, and all of these incredible, wonderful, good things that God has in store for his people happen, okay? Uh, Clear as mud, right? All right, we're good, okay. So that's uh, that's how I'm gonna approach the book, Uh, and just as a last thing before we read, there are two uh, main interpretations of this passage, all right? The first one is not, is not, not mine, but I want you guys to be aware of it. Um, first, this first view is that these six seals that are open are progressive end times judgments, okay? So when the seals are opened, these are prophecies that wars will occur and famines will occur and certain things will happen right before the end of history. Uh, I don't take that view. Some scholars do. Um, the second view is, uh, which, which I take, uh, is that these seals are symbolic signs of what all of the days between Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' return will look like. So in other words, it's a picture of history according to Jesus. This is what the fallen world is going to look like until Jesus returns. And there are a few reasons I think that. Uh, first, uh, if you take the book of Revelation chronologically, uh, the world actually is going to end, like, seven different times. Uh, it doesn't really make sense to view the book as a chronological prophecy book. Uh, it seems to be that the, these everything we see in this book are symbolic representations. All right, second thing, uh, it appears that once we open the seventh seal, we are talking about this last kind of final period of human history and what that looks like. Um, and so it makes a lot more sense that the six seals will characterize most of history and the last seal will characterize those last, last days. Final reason I like this, uh, I, I prescribe to this view, is that uh, these, first six, these first four of the first seals look a lot like what you see on your headlines and what you watch on the news, okay? So with that said, all right, wherever you land on this book, wherever you land on uh, what Revelation 6 is all about, the main point is going to be very clear, whatever specific interpretation you have. And that is that all of this craziness is under control of the Lord Jesus. So let's, let's see uh, about history according to Jesus from Revelation 6. Here we go. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and famine and pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were each given a white robe and told to wait to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth, and the fig, as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountain, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand let's pray uh, lord jesus we uh, just ask for your wisdom uh, first just to understand uh, what is in the scriptures here, and second, uh, to apply it and receive it uh, as words from you. And we just thank you as we uh, as we read that the, the Lamb is the one opening the seals, that you are the one guiding and directing history in this day. And just ask, as, as we read this and as we understand it, that you'd give us peace. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So this weekend... In this past week, uh, wildfires raged in California. Last time I checked, 76 people have been killed. 1,200 people are missing, and literally thousands are without homes. They are setting up in tent cities, and we have a miniature refugee crisis right here in America. Two weeks ago, a man filled with senseless hatred towards Jewish people walked into a synagogue and murdered 11 innocent people. Something not in the headlines, but unbearably horrible right now in Yemen, a country just north of the Horn of Africa, is in the middle of an unthinkable crisis. Because of a civil war, 8.3 million people do not know where their next meal is coming from. There's also a cholera epidemic that could kill millions. No relief in sight. Not in the headlines, but at this moment, around the world, there are Christians imprisoned, tortured, killed, just because they named the name of Jesus. In less than a 15-minute drive from this room, you can get to a hospital full of people who are sick and dying. Many of them young, many of them innocent, and many with horrible diseases. you're a Christian... You believe that God is good, and yet you live in a world filled with these horrible things. How do you make sense of them? What do they mean? How do you answer someone when they say, Christian, where was your God when this happened? Or when they said, as someone said last week, I don't want prayers or thoughts. I want gun control. How do you answer that? Revelation 6 is going to tell us that in the midst of all these horrors, God has not left the building. He is ruling. He is reigning. And in fact, he is taking uh, the horrible things in the world that are the result of human sin, and he is moving history forward with them to the end, to this wonderful, glorious destination that his people will have. But the first thing we see is that History, according to Jesus, is under control. Uh, just notice, did you, did you notice the pattern uh, in, this, in this passage? See that? Verse 1, the lamb, right, that's, uh, that's Jesus Christ from Revelation 5, this lamb who was slain, who's worthy, right? He opens the seal, right? One of the living creatures, who we found back in Revelation 4, says, come, and verse 2, a horse comes. Second seal, verse 3, lamb opens, living creature cries, horse comes. Third seal, verse 5, lamb opens, living creature comes, horse comes. You guys get it, right? That's not just a pattern or repetition. That means that the, from the perspective of heaven, okay, from the perspective of heaven that John has here, okay, the events that are characterized by these seals are under control. It is the lamb. Jesus Christ, right? The one who welcomes sinners to come and find life. He is the one opening the seals, right? Bringing history to its end, allowing these things. History is not out of control. Notice also there is a a divine order, right? This is really interesting. We're not going to camp too long here. But notice that Jesus initiates, all right? But it is third parties, that carry out all this craziness. Did y'all see that? The lamb opens the seals, but it's the horses and the riders on them that cause all the chaos, right? James 1 says that God uh, cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. Uh, God, in this passage, is not pictured as the one causing the war and bloodshed, right? He's pictured as the one who is so wise and good that he is sovereignly allowing even his enemies to accomplish will. And so just imagine yourself uh, as a Christian in the Roman Empire who is sitting here and who does not know where lunch is coming from because of your faith. Your friends have been killed, uh, like we see in Revelation 2 and 3, and you are wondering, how am I going to survive? And you read Revelation 6, and what you see in Revelation 6 is that all of the bloodshed and the famine and Uh, God's people being killed is under control of Jesus. That is meant to be a comfort. It's meant to be something that helps you look at your world and see it through God's eyes. Now, maybe you guys have seen uh, one of those end-of-the-world movies. I think my favorite is Armageddon, Bruce Willis, good film, okay? Uh, Maybe you've seen one of those new, uh, there's a whole genre of films now called the climate change apocalypse. Have y'all seen that, you know, like, the global ice caps melting, causing tornadoes in San Francisco and uh, giant tidal waves wiping out New York. Maybe you're a walking dead person. I don't get it. Maybe you like it, okay? Uh, but in all of these, um, in all of these uh, Armageddon, uh, end-of-the-world types shows, the whole uh, tone of the show is that this is completely out of control. The foundations has been shaken. God's forsaken the earth. That's why this is happening. And Revelation 6 tells us the opposite, that whatever happens, whatever your present or your future might look like, it is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who is gracious, who fights for his people, who loves his people, and in this morning, if you're far from him, who offers you life and rest. He is the one guiding world events. He is the one taking them and using them to bring his people finally to the day when the scroll is opened and they are happy forever. So trust the one who is in control of history. Take the way you respond to life, notice it, and trust the one who's, uh, who's ruling history. So I think the rubber really meets the road in the Christian life or in life in general. When you become aware that many of your feelings and the things you experience on on a daily basis as life happens to you are actually responses to God ruling the world, right? When you go home today and there's a wreck on 526 and you're stuck in two hours of traffic and you miss lunch and you're so frustrated, what you're doing, all right, is it's not just anxiety and anger happening to you, okay? You are making a response to what God has allowed in your life. When I get home and my kids are being crazy and disobeying me and I lose it and I raise my voice, all right, it's not them making me do it, right? I'm responding, actively responding uh, to what God has allowed in my life. And this passage tells us very clearly, if God is in control of those huge things, he is certainly in control of the day-to-day details of our lives. And as we walk in a fallen world and bad things happen to us and things don't make sense to us and we read headlines one of the most important things about the Christian life is that we recognize all the time we're responding to God. So maybe you need to think this morning about a response in your life to the Lord and think about what does trust look like. And while while we're here, just a sidebar, okay, it's nothing to do with Revelation 6, okay, but one really great way, if you are ministering to someone else, if there's someone else in your life who you're trying to walk with and love on and help them see Jesus, okay, one of the best things to do Is first ask them how they're doing, how their life is going. Most likely they'll tell you about their circumstances. And here's a great question you can ask you can say, How are you handling what's happening to you? How are you responding to your circumstances? All of a sudden we go from, Here's what's happening to me, to, Wow, I do have a heart that is responding to God. Or maybe you can say, Man, where's Jesus in all of this? But when we look at history look at this big picture, all the big details, all the chaos, and we see that it is actually under control of the lamb. We have to learn to trust. So trust the lamb as he controls history. So history, according to Jesus, is under control, right? Uh, but the way we see the seals play out, we also see that history is characterized by chaos. It's under control but it looks like chaos. Let's just walk through the seals real quick. This first seal is probably the most difficult. It's the one that people debate about the most, um, but I believe this seal indicates that the gospel of Jesus is going through the world and conquering. Let me explain that really quickly, okay? You might not, you might not see that here. Uh, look, look at the horse, okay? The horse is white, in Revelation 19, Jesus rides a white horse. Throughout this entire book, white is almost always the color of holiness and purity. All right. Notice this, uh, the rider in verse 2 also has a crown. You guys have probably heard that word in Revelation. Jesus says that his people will get crowns when they conquer. All right. Finally, this rider on the white horse comes out conquering and to conquer. Uh, every time in this book, with the exception of one, who conquers? Jesus conquers. His people conquer. So, all that being said, I think this seal indicates that in this present world, through history, what is really going on, as all this chaos occurs, is that the gospel, through the preached, Je- the preached word of Jesus, through the preached word of his life and death and resurrection, is going through the world and is conquering. It's not conquering like an army conquers, though. Um, notice what Napoleon said. Napoleon, that great uh, empire builder way back in the day, okay? He knew a lot about conquering. Here's what he said. Uh, He said, Alexander the Great, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But what did we rest the creations of our genius upon force? Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. So I think this first seal tells us that the main thing that is going on in history right now and all the stuff, is that this gospel of love is conquering. Jesus is building his empire, not by force, but by love. Second seal says uh, that the gospel conquering is not the only kind of conquering. There's also going to be bloodshed. Notice uh, the horse in verse 4 comes out red, the color of blood. Its rider is permitted to take peace from the earth. He's given a great sword. I think this uh, this tells us that in our present world, between Jesus' resurrection and his return, as we live, we're going to live in a world that in some ways is filled with violence and bloodshed. We're going to have headlines all the time about dictators, about genocides, about shootings. And this is a very hard truth, right, but I just want to uh, raise a question, isn't this a truth that reassures you that the Bible is true, right? If you, want to, if you want to answer to why there is violence in the world, I think Christianity is the only place you can go. Um, go, to a, go to a secular humanist, right? Somebody in our culture who believes there's no God, right? And human beings should be good on their own. What are they going to tell you? Well, they believe humans are basically good. How do they explain this kind of stuff, All right? They might say these, these people aren't educated enough and then we look back in history and see some of the most educated people in the world committing atrocities. All right, maybe, maybe you go to someone else, uh, someone else in our culture who's kind of a, a moral relativist, and they just say, you do you and I'll do me, right? We just just, uh, just do your own thing, right? The truth is, is however true you want it to be, right? How do they explain the horrors that we experience at the hands of people? The Bible explains it. Bible says that this present age, because we live in a fallen world full of sinners, full of evil, will be full of violence and bloodshed. This third seal, famine. Just real exciting here. Just kidding. Um, third seal, okay? There's a black horse. He comes out. This is verse, uh, verse 5. He has scales in his hand. Maybe you've been to the grocery store and he bought produce. Uh, for that one time a month you buy produce, right? Just kidding, okay? Um, and you weigh it, right? to See how much it costs? That's how almost all commerce happened in the ancient world. They had scales, okay? Uh, and this writer, uh, he comes out, and then we hear a voice that says, a quart of wheat for Denarius, three quarts of barley for Denarius. Do not harm the grain of wine. Very strange. Uh, somebody in ancient Rome would have, dis- would have understood that. A quart of wheat is a nice meal for one person, okay? Three quarts of barley is kind of a cruddy meal for three people, all right? And the denarius is uh, everything you would earn in one day of work. So the idea there is that all of your hard work gets you enough money for one end of the meal day. So I think this, uh, this seal indicates that throughout the world, in these last days before Jesus' return, there will be lack, okay? There will be famine. Finally, Okay, this fourth seal, or this fourth seal says, out comes a pale horse. Uh, This is uh, verse 8. When you think of pale horse, I want you to think of the color of a zombie, all right, or the color of that green emoji that's throwing up, right, one of those, okay. Uh, That's the color here in the Greek, all right. Uh, And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. Just know that in Revelation 19, Death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. They are God's enemies, but for this period of time, they are given authority over a fourth of the earth. In other words, there will be a world characterized by death. Okay. So um, I think we have one great difficulty in appreciating the truth and the helpfulness of this passage. Uh, and that is that we are 21st century Americans living in a rare time of great peace and prosperity. In fact, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think a lot of the reason we have so much uh, political infighting is that we don't have anything else to do. We're not fighting to survive or to eat like our grandparents were in the Great Depression. We're not living under the probability of the Soviet Union dropping a nuke on our hometown like our parents did, right? We don't have anything else to do. I could be wrong there, but uh, because it has always been like this for us because we've always had meals provided. We've always lived in a land of peace. We've always had relative comfort. We begin to assume that this is how the world should be, right? In fact, this is is the norm. We, We think that life in 21st century America in Mount Pleasant, for heaven's sake, is the norm. And that if God's not doing that everywhere in the world, that somehow he's not good. And, uh, again, I I think, right, because if I walk with Jesus and love him, that means my life won't have any horrors in it, right? I won't have terrible things happen to me. And uh, this picture of history, according to Jesus, is intended in part to prepare us to live in a fallen world in the last days. It's meant to remind us that, yes, right now I happen to live in a free nation Enables me to do basically as I please. There's no there's no real cost to my life, like my safety to follow Jesus. I know exactly where my meal is coming from today at lunch and for the next month or so. I got you know we all have a little money in the bank, right? Just because those things are happening now, it's a reminder to me they may not always be like that. In fact, uh, I would say this pastor says it's okay to dream, and to pray for the Lord to really bless your life, for him to give you a spouse or the job you long for or circumstances. It's okay to pray for those things God desires to bless you, right? But to have a category in your head as you pray and desire and dream and long for the world as you know it to be unraveled, right? To have a category for these kind of things that are all over the world right now to come close to home. This is why uh, most people stop reading Revelation at chapter 6. It gets a little scary. It gets a little uncomfortable. And I think uh, this passage is meant to do the exact opposite. It's meant to give us a level head in the face of horrors. It's meant to help us to be the kind of people who have, who have the right understanding and who have the ability to not freak out every time something evil touches our lives. Um, One final thing, I I think if I'm right and the first seal is the gospel conquering, I think we see here that the chaos does not stop the gospel from conquering. Um, You guys are probably aware of the Syrian refugee crisis right now. Uh, There's a civil war in a Middle Eastern country called Syria, and as a result, uh, I think last time I checked, there are over 8 million people displaced from their homes who've been through horrible things. And um, what you may not know is that for the longest time, Syria was almost 100% unaccessible to missionaries. There was no way to get in. Uh, Christians were persecuted and killed. And all of a sudden, these Syrians have been dispersed. And all of a sudden, they are responding in droves to the gospel. God is using uh, the horrors of our world for good. And maybe, all right, this picture of what history normally looks like might help you be thankful for the immense way in which the Lord has blessed your life. If you uh, have clothes on today, which I notice you all do, and if you know perhaps where your lunch is coming from this afternoon and you have no fear for your life as you walk out of this building, you are one of the few particular people in history which God has favored with these things. And uh, maybe that might help you take a breath in the midst of all your personal trials and stresses and say, you know what, in the big scheme of things, right, I have a lot to be thankful for. I have a lot to rest on. So history, according to Jesus, is under control. It's characterized by chaos. And finally, we see it comes to a close. We see the very end of history here in these fifth and sixth seals. Just notice first that the fifth and sixth seals are linked together. Uh, again, um, if, you're not, if you're not a reader, you may not have seen this at first, but there's a pattern in the first four seals. You see the lamb opening, you see John hearing, and then you see a horseman coming, okay? Uh, when we get to the fifth and sixth seal, John is no longer hearing. He's now seeing things. And these seals are very different from the last four. They're linked together. That's important. We'll see, we'll see why in a minute. So this fifth seal... Okay, uh, it's probably maybe the second most confusing, all right? Uh, John sees under the altar, uh, this is verse 9, sorry, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and witness they had borne. Okay, don't worry about the under the altar too much. That most likely means that, that God sees the sacrifice of these Christians as a fragrant offering to him, right? There's this language there, okay? But um, these, uh, these are the saints in glory, Okay? So they're not resurrected yet. We'll see that later. But they are in the presence of God. They are happy. They have all they need. They have life forever. Okay? What are they doing, though, in verse 10? It says, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They are crying out for justice. These are, this is called an imprecatory prayer. Maybe one day in your quiet times, you've gotten to an imprecatory psalm. Uh, you're all of a sudden, you're reading, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. It's, things are great. And then you get to, Lord, please rain down fire upon my enemies. And you're like, you know, I don't think I should pray that about my coworkers today. Okay, I'm not going to pray that for my boss. I'm just going to move on. All right. All right. Whew. Jesus said, love your enemies. Right. Okay. Uh, so we get to these imprecatory prayers in the Bible. And there's something in us that says, man, didn't Jesus uh, tell us to forgive and to love our enemies? Yes, he absolutely did. Um, What is going on in Revelation uh, 6.10 is not a prayer for personal vengeance, okay? Because, uh, notice, these saints have no need for vengeance anymore, right? They are as happy as they could ever be. All the tears have been wiped away. They are in glory. They don't need to have wrongs avenged, okay? What are they doing? They are crying out for, as they say, the sovereign Lord, the Holy and True One, to show forth his justice and goodness. Let me give an example. Okay, this happens, things like this happen in the world all the time, okay? You may not know where Somalia is. It's a country uh, in, in Africa, and it's one of the most persecuted nations uh, in the world. If you're a Christian there, your life is regularly in danger, okay? So just, just picture this, okay? Uh, a group of Somalian warlords drive in uh, on their jeeps into a primarily- Christian village, okay? They drag the men into the center of the city square. They murder them, okay? They rape the women. They take the children and sell them into slavery, all right? And for the rest of their lives, they live and find great peace and security on the blood of other people. And they die in peace, okay? A God who does not judge and avenge himself Avenge his people on men like that is not a good God. Okay, if you don't like the idea of God's wrath, all right, I would like to propose to you guys that the alternative is something horrible a God who allows this kind of devastation and evil to happen to his people and to happen to innocent people and to do nothing about it, right? That is not a good God, that's not a God we should worship. So, this call. Uh, for God to show Himself just is a good thing, and you might think, okay, Leland, well, I get that for the Somalian warlord, right? But what about the regular old American? They're not—they're not murdering people. They've rejected you. They're not—they're not terrible, right? Well, think about what a quote regular person is doing according to the Bible. Every day they wake up, and God is pouring out blessing on their lives. They get to breathe fresh air. They get to enjoy comfort and food, Uh, the Bible says all these things, all of them are testifying to them day after day that God is good and kind, and they should return to him, right? They even in America probably have access to the gospel, right? This gift of God's son, Jesus, offered to them freely to save them, and they reject it consistently. That may not be as horrifying as what the warlords do, but it's just as deserving as God's wrath. And because of those realities, because there are horrors that evil men commit against his people all the time, because there are people who've rejected Jesus consistently, we get to the sixth seal, where history comes to a close and judgment begins. Uh, notice what happens in this sixth seal. First, we see that reality melts away. Uh, just notice here great earthquake, sun becoming black, full moon becoming blood, stars of the sky falling sky vanishing like a scroll. You can take these literally if you want to, but I think the idea is that everything you've ever known, the reality in which you've, you've lived your entire life, things as, as, as un, uh, things as normal as the ground under which you walk, it melts away when the king returns. Um, there's nowhere else to hide. But, uh, Unbelievers who rejected Christ try, verses 15 to 16. The kings, great ones, generals, rich, powerful, everyone, slave, and free. Notice there's seven uh, kinds of people here. That number seven appears again. Just means all of humanity, okay, from the greatest to the least. What do they do? They run. They hide themselves in caves and mountains and pray that the caves and mountains would fall on them. And then notice what they're running from. Verse 16, the face of him who is seated on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. I think God's face, which is beautiful and glorious and an eternity of delight, when it is turned on someone in wrath, it is more traumatic than anything you could experience in this life. The wrath of the Lamb, just think about that for a second. Jesus, the Lamb, who this morning, right, if you're far from him, still patient, still waiting, still ready to receive you, right? John 6.37 says that anyone who comes to me, I will never cast away. He is still waiting right now, right? There will be a day when his patience is over, and people will face the wrath of the Lamb. So I think we have to say, uh, with tears in our eyes, that the people today in our culture who mock and scoff at the idea of God's wrath will not be mocking and scoffing when it comes. So I want to just make three applications of this text, this very difficult and First, okay, uh, this text helps us understand a new perspective on historical events. The first five seals lead to the sixth, okay? Okay. Events in human history are meant to be signposts and poster boards and advertisements that the end is coming. Um, Maybe you've heard someone say something like Psalm 19, which the heavens declare the glory of God, that creation and created goods and good things, okay, they reveal to us how good and wonderful and beautiful God is. At the same time, uh, these four horsemen of the apocalypse who are, I think, are riding throughout the world today, right, Uh, all of these terrible things happening in these seals they remind us, they're an advertisement to us, right, that uh, we are all going to a day when we will face God. So maybe uh, next time you wake up in the morning and you have one of those, oh, I'm getting old injuries, right? When you're 26 and your back is sore, right, that happens, okay? <laughs> or, uh, or maybe next time uh, a Category 4 hurricane is bearing down on Charleston, all right? You can respond by praying the hurricane away, right? You can respond by getting out of town, but you should also respond by saying there is a storm coming that this storm points to that I must be ready for. My backache is a reminder that I am mortal, right? That my life will end. And while we're here, I just got to ask, don't you know that you are heading to this day? in a room this size, there's always a few people, right, who are either far from God or who are doing the kind of Christian thing, but not genuinely lovers of Jesus. And I want to say one thing we value in the young adults ministry is genuine conversion. We recognize that uh, it's really easy, especially if you grew up in a church context, to kind of be a half Christian, right, to be here, to be relatively moral, but to have never experienced the grace and love of Jesus, to never experience yourself as a sinner before him. And uh, I want to say, if that's you this morning, there will be a day when there is no longer anywhere to hide. And the best thing you can do today is to be ready for that day. Again, like I said, Jesus is ready to receive you, right? The, The lamb does not have wrath yet. That day has not come yet. Right now, he's patient and gracious. The cross is enough to pay for your sins at this moment, wherever you are. And if you're a believer, I'm going to say a couple things. If you, uh, the horror of these verses, right? Can't you remember that at one point in your life you were heading here, right? And that God in his grace and his kindness to you rescued you from this, right? That you would have gone here of your own will. You would have rebelled against him to the day of your death. And God, in his grace and kindness, chose to rescue you out of this. Wherever you are, no matter how hard your life is right now, if you are a believer, you have a lot to be thankful for. And finally, one more thing. Doesn't the end here warm your heart towards the lost people around you? Don't you know? That the guy in the cubicle sitting next to you on Monday morning is heading here, that your aunt, your crazy aunt, who you're going to be spending Thanksgiving with, is heading here if she does not repent. All right, won't that won't that let you get you out of your? I've got to be polite. I can't be awkward, right? I guess I get as I know, ministering to family members who don't know Jesus is the hardest thing ever. It's it's I would rather talk to 15 strangers about Jesus than talk to my mom about Jesus. Okay. But the reality is we love those people. We sacrifice our lives for them. We pour ourselves out. We we speak when it's awkward because they're heading here if they don't repent. If heaven and hell are real, the most important thing in your life right now can't just be surviving young adult working world, right? Unbelievers have to be a central priority of your life. So uh, this past week, this past Friday, I took our five year old foster daughter to the doctor. And um, uh, one thing we do all the time is when there's something we don't want our kids to know about, we spell the word out. So we're like, hey, we're going to have a T R E A T. Mommy, is that a good idea? You know, a treat? Y'all catch that? Okay, good. You're not. uh, So, uh, but our dear nurse uh, made the mistake of mentioning that we were going to have a flu shot. She didn't spell it S H O T like I I wished. And uh, 30 30 minutes before it was time for the shot. And Kinley literally, like ducked and covered, like dove under a chair and like stood there like this, you know? And um, finally, I coaxed her out and uh, she's on my lap and I'm sitting there talking to her. Doctor runs in, she ducks again, okay? Uh, And finally, it's time for our S-H-O-T, which I would encourage you to spell around children. Uh, Anyways, uh, not one, but two nurses come in because they know kids like this, right? They know, like it's gonna take all three of us, okay? Two nurses come in, (laughs) all right? And she runs away, finally I get her in my lap and I talk to her and I say, hey, you know daddy loves you, right? Yeah, I know, you know you're safe here, right? Yeah, I know, can you take five deep breaths? We take five deep breaths, all right? It's time, she bolts again, okay? Um, (laughs) Good parenting, okay? And and finally, finally, all three of us, okay, are holding her down. We are physically restraining her. She is screaming so loud that my ears are still ringing, okay? (laughs) And then, prick, and she doesn't even notice it, and we're done. Just like, oh. And I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> uh, oh! teachable moments, guys, okay? All right, as we close, um, I want you to think about the difference between me and Kinley's perspective on her shot, right? What she sees is the scariest, most horrible thing in the world. She sees something that is so terrifying, she has to run and flee and get away. She's in f- fight-or-flight mode. Like She's not thinking, okay? She can't, and she sees... Daddy, who she thought loved her, holding her down (laughs) during all this pain, okay? Think about my perspective, though. I know she's safe, I know this is good for her, and I know that in the long run, it's just going to be a little prick in her leg. And as we close this passage in Revelation 6, and a lot of you guys are chewing on the horrible things that we see here, we've got to recognize that as human beings, our perspective about life in a fallen world It's a lot like Kinley's perspective on a shot. We just, there's a point at which we don't have the maturity and the ability to understand it. There's going to be a sense of that about it. But there is a father who loves us. He's in control. He knows us for our good. And he knows, right, that in the end, right, when we're in heaven and enjoying him (coughs) forever, it's just going to be a little If you can't feel that today, it's okay. Just take it by faith. Let's pray. Lord, uh, Just thank you for your kindness, and uh, thank you that we can understand our world. And I just pray this morning for all of us for the humility to receive this and to receive what you've said about your world and about what it's going to look like and how we're going to experience it. We pray for grace uh, today to respond to you in a way that honors you and gives you glory. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.